Do you want to solve 20% of your problems in your business without changing anything? How valuable would that be to your company? What if I told you that in just two days, you could understand the current state of your business and operations with 100% accuracy, get all of your departments on the same page and excited about moving toward the future ideal state, stop assuming what is happening in your process and get crystal clear with visualization, and feel total peace of mind and safety when you get rid of the chaos in your day-to-day. Plus, a finished flow that's so good, you'll want to show it off to everyone. This is why I am so excited after so long of thinking about doing this to announce my brand new offer to you, which is the Flow State Workshop. You see, I have typically only worked with clients over year-long plus containers, and for the first time ever, I'm making such a valuable part of my services available to you in just two days. So what is the workshop exactly? It's a two-day virtual experience where I take you and senior leaders through a tool to map out the entire flow of your goods and information over time, to map out one use case area of the business to understand the current state and solve problems. Better said, it's process mapping. Most methods of process mapping aren't necessary and honestly are overcomplicated and siloed. Therefore, your Boeings and 3Ms of the world. Plus, everyone thinks process mapping is the same, but this is where they get it wrong. There are so many nuanced methods for doing process mapping effectively. And this is where the goods and information flow comes in. It's the secret sauce because it's the only one that works. I honestly don't know why it's not taught more, considering it's the tool that Toyota uses for everything, and not to mention it's the first step of every process improvement we would use at Toyota. So you literally quite possibly cannot do process improvement without this one tool. Inconsistency in your processes is actually what's contributing to the breakdown. With this two-day virtual workshop, you'll get crystal clear on the current state of your business so you have a very, very strong foundation to solve problems. And the best part is that honestly, you don't actually need to start anything new. You don't need to disrupt anything or have a revolutionary idea. Contrary to popular belief, process isn't only for manufacturing either. This offer is for service-based businesses specific to the size and stage of your business. Plus, it's common to think that process is going to take you away from your uniqueness. And I promise you, it is actually what helps you stand out more. So if you're ready to finally get clear in just two days, head to the link in the show notes, or you can visit hillarycorner.com forward slash workshop to apply now. Now on to today's show. Welcome to the Unprofessional Podcast, a place to explore the boundaries of work, humanity, and culture. I'm Hillary Corna, your host and founder of The Human Way. If you're ready to break out of the box, say goodbye to business as usual, and usher in a new era, one that's more human, you've found the right place. Join me and fellow unprofessionals as we dive deep on what it takes to create human-centric organizations and become fully human leaders. Welcome home. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Hilary Corna. I am so excited to talk to you about this next step in our process that we do with our clients around problem prioritization. Um, This is something that I think in the whole PDCA process is often the most overlooked, done the least frequently, and also one of the most important. Um, It's this step where we slow down a little bit to speed up. 
And the reason we prioritize problems is because when people are addressing process um, and what I want to cover in today, today's call is like people tend to think all problems are created equal. We have an issue with an onboarding form and it's equal in weight to the issues that we have in our discovery calls, which is equal in weight to the, the proposals being sent out on time. That all of these problems in our processes are all important equally right now, let's solve them. And what this can do with organizations is like create overwhelm, frustration, confusion, lack of clarity around like, you know, what actually matters the most. And so I want to use the time today to carve out how do we actually focus the efforts of our resources? If we're going to solve, and we believe, as we've talked about in past episodes, like that operations is designed to be indefinite. There's never a point where we're done solving problems. Then how do we separate and compartmentalize the problems that matter more now versus the ones that matter less so that we can provide a little relief to ourselves uh, that not everything needs to be fixed right now. And we do that through the problem prioritization methodology. That is a mouthful, I know. So for all my nerds out there that love, love, love this stuff, this to me is my favorite step in the whole process. It's the most objective. It removes as much as possible the subjectivity to the choice of what we're going to focus on in the company in order to improve. And it makes it more quantitative, allowing us to make it less about our own personal opinions or siloed initiatives and makes it more about what the operation needs. It takes the personal component out of it so that I don't have to choose or the CEO doesn't have to choose or the VP or the director doesn't have the weight of choosing. This methodology allows the operation to tell you what will drive the most ROI in the shortest amount of time. So I'm going to walk you through the methodology itself. And for those that are listening and like visuals, We'll also link uh, a copy of our master worksheets that has this framework in the show notes so that you can um, reference it it later or as you're listening, but it helps to refer to it. I'll explain as much as possible verbally. So when we prioritize, at the time that we get to this point, we have seen on average 80 to 120 problems across an entire operation. This shouldn't really come as a surprise to anyone. Like people are probably listening like, yeah, that's typical. We know we have a lot of problems. It can be reduced and then maintained at a certain level, but it tends to start pretty high around 100. And then the question becomes, how, how, how are we going to solve all of this? People have the assumption like we have to solve all of them all at once, right? And the way we solve them all, we, the way we solve them incrementally is by breaking apart the ones that are the most valuable. Basically, it's like gold mining. I, lo- I use this analogy a lot with my clients where it's like, we're sifting, we're sifting. What are the ones that are most valuable? What are the ones that are most valuable? And bringing to the surface the ones that are most valuable and then doing those first. And slowly and surely, we're chipping away at the, the core, what makes a great process. And before I dive into this, I want to share an analogy that I love to share is Michelangelo. When Michelangelo designed the David, he is quoted by saying, I didn't make David. He was already in there. 
I just found him. And that's typically what our processes look like. You have a great process. It's in there. It's in your operation. But it's cluttered and distorted with people that weren't trained effectively and people who made their own rules and stopped following the process and legacy employees that just do things their own way over time or do things the old way. It's cluttered with all of these variables that make it very hard to see your great process. So we have to chip away, chip away until we find your David. And this methodology for prioritizing problems so that we focus the efforts of our resources, this is what helps us chip away effectively. So there are two components to prioritization. There's quantitative and qualitative. This is always done between the stages in PDCA, between the stages of um, naming the problems and identifying countermeasures. The goal here is to show me what are the most valuable problems to solve so that I can then go solve for them in the shortest amount of time. So the qualitative uh, questions that are posed are three, and the quantitative questions that are posed have five. I'm going to read those to you. So each problem at each task in the flow, we quantify and qualify. So the qualifying questions are yes, no answers. The first one is, can this problem be solved within 30 days? Can this problem be solved within 30 days? Yes or no. So an organization I've been working with recently does custom software development. They have to staff enormous projects that go on for years. And they have some very complicated problems to solve with staffing. How many staff to keep on reserve for how long, what type of projects, heavy, heavy, heavy strategy staffing uh, problems. And there's just no way that the answer can be solved within 30 days. So they deliberately said, no, like this is too big of a problem to solve within 30 days. Now, sometimes we can break out a problem. It's a big problem, but some improvement can be made in 30 days. It doesn't mean it has to be solved completely. So you might not automate a system, but you'll document it and streamline it, right? So an improvement can be made in 30 days. So this is the rationale that we're working through each and every problem for those total 80 to 120, whatever it comes out to. Can this be solved in 30 days? Yes or no. The second question is, is this in line with brand values? And this is kind of like a catch-all. When we're looking at solving problems, we want to make sure it's like a, are we for sure? Is there any chance that this is not in line with our values? So it could be integrity, right? It could be solving a problem around lead gen, and we're going to go hire uh, a outsourced third-party lead gen company to solve it. Is that really in line with our value system of customer care and integrity? Maybe no, right? Um, it is rare that this is ranked no, but it's a really, really important one because it's one of those things that if you don't catch it and you start solving for something that's not really in line with your values, you can go in the direction that's really, really for the company. So yes or no, is this in line with brand values? It's almost always yes, but it's really an, a really important and valuable catch when it's a no. The third qualitative question is, can this be solved within, with minimum financial investment? Can this be solved with minimum financial investment? 
The reason for this question is that we would always say at Toyota, you can solve process problems forever without spending any money. You can go a really long time improving processes without spending a dime. Now, this does not include human resources. So it doesn't, this is not inclusive of like manpower it takes to solve a problem. That's exclusive. This is like, we need to implement a system and pay for a new software. We need to hire a consultant or other various financial investments, maybe consult our lawyer, things like that. So these three yes or no qualitative questions must all be yes to be included in any go live with my clients. We solve only for things that don't cost money, can be done in 30 days, and are in line with brand values as long as possible until you breach the point where you have to spend money or it takes longer than 30 days and it's a bigger endeavor. We chip away, chip away at the other stuff first. So the first way to prioritize problems is these qualitative questions to help focus the efforts of our resources. The second part is the quantitative part. In this, there are five questions and each of them rank one to five. Five is the best, meaning the most valuable. One is meaning the least valuable. It drives some value, but it's pretty nominal. So the first one, the first question that's quantitative is how easily can this be solved within existing capacity of staff? How easily can this be solved within existing capacity of staff? This is taking into consideration time. If this is a big, hairy, audacious problem and the person who really knows how to solve it is about to go and leave or is busy with another priority, like we have to take into consideration their capacity and they may not have it to solve for this problem. Um, it may be that you have five people on your team that have the skills. A couple of people don't have the time, but a couple other people too. So we're being really conscious of time and capacity. And then sometimes what we find here, which is more positive, is that how easily can this be solved with an existing capacity of staff? It's a five out of five. There are a lot of process problems where it's like, we, we just need to sit down and have a conversation. It's not that complex. Those are the ones we love. It's just a matter of sitting down and maybe no one's ever just sat down to have the conversation to make the decision. This could be like, hey, we need to we need to make a decision on our fixed price or we need to make a decision on our, you know, customer care policy. Like it's not a complex problem, so to speak. It's just a matter of sitting down and there's definitely time for the team to do it. They just never have. The second question we pose again in quantitative, which is a ranking of one to five, five being the best is how does this rank in terms of the impact to either MPS or CSAT? For those that don't know, NPS is net promoter score and CSAT is like a customer satisfaction ranking. Now, if your organization doesn't have this, you can just remove, hide this column and rank instead of at a total of 25 because we're ranking one to five for each question, five questions in total, which comes to 25. You just hide the column and rank it out of 20. But for those companies that do have NPS or CSAT, essentially what you're saying is, how much value does this have on the ability to score higher in either of these surveys? And so let's say you're improving 
onboarding calls. Most likely for a company that has MPS, if the MPS goes out after onboarding and like after service, that onboarding is going to have a big impact on your MPS score. But if your MPS score uh, survey only goes out after contract signing, then your, M- then your onboarding survey or call is not going to have a huge impact on MPS. So we're thinking deliberately about impact. Will this improve MPS or CSAT between a scale of one to five? Five being the best. The third question that's quantitative is what is the impact on the customer? One to five, five being the best. There are some things we do in our processes that impact us. They make our jobs easier or mitigate risk in the organization. Like a company I'm working with right now uh, is on their fifth cycle and they're um, creating an ops manual internally for their ops team because their ops team is about to grow. So it mitigates the risk in the case if anyone leaves, but then it also invests in the future as an asset to help train teams as that department grows. But that doesn't affect the customer at all. The customer has no idea this exists. It might affect the delivery of the processes, which is why we rank minimum one, but the customer is not gonna feel it directly or even know that it correlates to their results. So that would impact the customer a one. Whereas, Improving your discovery process in order to improve your pitch is going to highly affect the customer. Five out of five, right? And then you have everything in between. Some slightly indirect affects the customer. But the main thing to understand here is that processes sometimes affect internal. They sometimes affect external. And then sometimes the both. They can do one of those three. They can predominantly affect external operations and customer-facing experience, they can predominantly affect just internal or they can do both, but they're not all the same. They're not all equal. The fourth quantitative way of evaluating how much impact solving a problem will have on the operation and ROI is, does this impact revenue? One to five, five being the best. I'm going to tell you the second one, the last one now as well, because these are so correlated. Does this impact EBITDA? So the last four and five problem questions that are quantitative is on a scale of one to five, does this impact revenue? On a scale of one to five, does this impact EBITDA? Five being the best. Now, this is complex sometimes for people to understand. Many employees don't know what EBITDA is, um, but improving processes can, uh, similarly, they can affect only revenue, they can affect only EBITDA, or they can affect both. They are not just, they're not all the same. So for those that don't know, revenue is obviously income earned, right? So it's like your inputs to the organization financially. But your outputs are like profit. And EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So it's used as a metric to evaluate a company's operating performance and can be seen as like a loose proxy for cash flow from the entire company's operations. So if you think of this as like your pre-sales and your post-sales operation, a lot of activity you're going to do to improve processes is going to drive revenue in your pre-sales operation. Once you sell a deal, the improvements you make in processes aren't really going to affect revenue that much. 
they might affect cost, which would affect EBITDA. That's typically how we see that played out. And then sometimes you have, um, for example, I'm working with a company right now that has a sales cycle lead time of about nine months. And so if they have processes at their end of their sales process that are poor and lose a deal after nine months of time, investment, research, discovery being spent in the sales process, and they lose a deal at the end, that's highly going to affect their EBITDA because there's so many resources being put across the span of nine months to close the deal and then it's lost. So it's not going to, it's not going to, um, positively impact revenue. And that's an example where it can affect revenue and EBITDA. Usually we see those examples happen really closely to the handoff between sales and service, or again, the handoff between delivery, which is post-sales and follow-up and repurchase. So to summarize, We have to focus our efforts. You as an organization cannot solve all of your problems all at once. If you did, it would take you a year. And by the time you actually came up with answers, too many things would have changed. This removes the idea of perfectionism. You have to be okay to move forward imperfectly, to chip away at your problems, to find your David, to incrementally improve instead of improving everything together all at once in perfect synchronicity. We need to break it out and be incremental. How do we break it out and be incremental? How do we get from the steps of, hey, I just identified a hundred problems across my operation and I want to go solve for them, but which ones should I start with? You do that through the prioritization methodology. There's both quantitative and qualitative. If any of the qualitative answer no, just do not include it. Do not include it. Unless you can break it out and make it simpler, do not include it because it'll take you forever. It's too complex. You'll lose moral. Uh, you'll become demoralized and you'll fail and then you won't want to try again. When it comes to the quanti- quantification, you're ranking about out of 25 20 if you don't have MPS or CSAT, and you're aiming for the ones that ranked the highest. So in the end, you're looking for the ones that have three yeses, which means they hit all those qualitative ones, markers, and the total prioritization value is the highest, essentially working backwards from 25. As a general rule of thumb with our go lives, we never, we cap it, at 25 problems. We take the top 25 ranking from 20, from the ranking of 25 down, the top 25 that ranked the highest and include those in a go live. What I've found is if you include more than 25 problems that you're solving for, it's just too much to solve in 30 days, um, which is usually the parameter that we use to develop countermeasures to solve for in 30 days. And people are just trying to tackle too much. Um, I, I love when I see go lives less than that because it's really manageable. People feel good about the completion rate, et cetera. But for sure, we want to max it at 25. And that is how you prioritize problems. That then allows you to separate the ones that don't drive the most value. They're not lost forever, but it adds some relief so that you know these are being put aside for the time being 
until we tackle these, and then we will chip away at the next ones. So hopefully you found this episode really fun and analytical. I I find that once people start to flow in this and build some momentum, it's really a lot of fun to take the personalization out of it and objectify it a little bit and add some framework to how we focus our efforts. This is not a perfect science. It's not meant to be perfect. It's impossible to be perfect because essentially we're putting value. uh, We are putting a number on perceived value. When we say how much impact does this have on the customer, it's just a perception. How much impact do we think this has on NPS or EBITDA or revenue? It's just a perception of value. But when you do this with your teams and you get on the same page about what drives the most value, from that point onwards, there's no going backwards. You can't say, you know, you can't question why you're doing what you're doing or the value it has potential to affect on the organization or um, there's just no going backwards and retracting like a rubber band. You agree, you quantify, you select, you move forward. And this is what gets us further along in the process of improvement stages. So I'm going to continue to take you along these steps and teach you on the next step of identifying countermeasures, developing them, training, etc. But again, this worksheet will be included in the show notes if you want to have a look and reference as we talk or even after. And should you have any questions, just reach out to our team, team at hillarycorner.com, and we'll help you however you can. Y'all, thanks for listening to the Unprofessional Podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me who you want to hear from so I can make it better for you. And subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Also, if you found yourself nodding your head, yes, multiple times today, and you want to be a part of a community of wholehearted unprofessionals, then come join us at hillarycorna.com and follow me on IG at Hillary Corna. Our goal, to make the world a little more human.